When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Won't Back Down with Will Levinson, Jake Lehman, and Sam Potosa. It's about damn time that the Won't Back Down podcast finally got started. I'm sorry it's so late, guys, but we are well into week five of the college football season. And hello, everyone. I'm Sam Potosa along with Jake Lehman. Will Levinson, and we're here to talk about all things college football, recap the Gators versus the Volunteers from last Saturday, preview the Gators versus Kentucky, and talk about some national news and some big games in a loaded Week 5 slate, including possibly the biggest Group of 5 game ever in Cincinnati versus Notre Dame, Michigan-Wisconsin, and of course the biggest game of the weekend, an SEC showdown between Arkansas and Georgia. Let's get it started, guys. Jake Lehman, what did you like from the Tennessee game last week? There was a lot to like. I mean, it was a potential letdown spot and you know despite what many saw at halftime as the Gators not winning by enough 17 to 14 other than a couple blown coverages and we can get more you know in depth on what happened on those plays later the defense played pretty well the offense outside of a few you know miscues that ended drives continued you know what they did in the second half against Alabama pretty much moving the ball at will Dan Mullins putting Emory Jones in much better positions to look, you know, comfortable, you know, rollouts and stuff like that than he did against USF and FAU. And so, um, you know, I expect the momentum on offense to continue against Kentucky and hopefully, you know, the defense can show what they did in the second half. What about you, Will? Well, I mean, I think it was an incredibly impressive performance to pull away in that second half. Yes, the first half was a little sluggish, a little slow to start, but that's what you expect when you're coming off playing the best team in the country. When you Absolutely. That Alabama is, hangover is so exactly, real for many teams. So and, many teams, and I really did expect to see struggle at the gates from the Gators, especially defensively, and it wasn't bad defensively at all. Tennessee's 14 points came from two big plays. He had that great great call by Josh Hypo on the screen pass, misdirection that threw off Florida secondary, got him out of position, led to a big touchdown. And then you've got, obviously, Mordecai McDaniel in the, in, in a, in the wrong spot for that uh, uh, coverage box, which was a long touchdown for Tennessee, which gave them the lead 14-10. But in the second half, it was complete and utter domination from the Florida Gators. They took, they imposed their will on the Volunteers. And overall, it was an perf- impressive performance and an impressive called game offensively from Dan Mullen, who just continues, continues to show his mastery mm-hmm. of offensive football when the run game works. It's unbelievable how well he is calling plays when he has a running quarterback and a running game that is as good as this Florida's offense is right now. Yeah. And look, this is Dan Mullen saying to everyone in the national audience, look, I know I may kind of put my foot in my mouth sometimes, but I'm telling you, if I'm down at halftime, there's going to be no one who makes better adjustments than I do. And you saw exactly that when they came out. They started getting creative with their playbook. They opened up the playbook. They brought back Kodak. We hadn't seen that since the 2018 Mississippi State. Kodak. And if you're not familiar, that is the the double pass play where we throw it to a tight end. Um, 
I think that was Gamble's second time, actually. His Correct. I, no, I, actually, it was Moral Stevenson, I believe. No, it was Kamori Gamble. It was a pass from Kadarius Tony to Kamori Gamble. Kamori Gamble? Yes, it was. We're talking about two separate ones. The Mississippi State one, the first time we pulled it off, that was Correct. Moral Stevens, Florida Gator legend Moral Stevens. But, um, yeah, Whittemore with a dot. But to me, the <laughs> biggest, and I agree with both of you guys, I think the defense played much better. I've been saying this all week. I know we haven't really had the pod going to say this, but in the Alabama game, that was the first time Todd Grantham's defense had tried since 2019. And they continued that trend in the Tennessee game. But to me, the biggest glaring issue is that second cornerback spot. Jason Marshall is just too young, guys. He's a freshman. We think about sometimes that this is college football. These guys are really young when you throw them out there, especially in a system that kind of caters more to upperclassmen. And Avery Helm, since that injury he's had, they haven't really been able to find someone to take that second spot. I know Big Will agrees with me on this. Jadarius Perkins, the transfer from Missouri, might be the answer at that spot because, Mm -hmm. look, it didn't work with Mordecai McDaniel. Avery Helm was kind of getting burnt when he was in there. Could Jadarius Perkins, who I believe already has an interception on the year, could he be the answer at that spot? He's got a bunch of PBUs. He's one dude who flashes. I don't know exactly what happened against Bama and Tennessee that he didn't get so much PT. Because if you remember in the first two games, Perkins was playing the star a ton. Um, he was flashing on tape. And, you know, I, I think he was playing just as well as Travis Johnson there, if not better, especially against the run. But um, I will Exactly. S- no, hold on. Makes a great point. Against the run. And, and against Perkins, Kentucky, that'll be huge. Exactly. So. Because Jadarius Perkins is a lot like Kyrie Ky- Elam in the, in, in the way that he tackles. Because – it's been an issue for Florida cornerbacks for the last few years, especially last season, with the exception of Kyir Elam. They have an, an inability to tackle. And even Kyir struggles at times. But, yeah. but, what but, but, but Kyir, yes. Sometimes he hits player. He goes for the blow, goes for the hit, and bigger backs tend to bounce off him. Yep. But he's always in position. Jadarius Perkins made some great run reads, flying to the football, Reading the play quickly, great play recognition, and then he's there to wrap up for the tackle. I want to see Jadarius Perkins get more playing time. We saw him a lot more last week without Kyrie Elam. Mordecai McDaniel, I think he's a bit of a liability back there in the secondary as a safety, and I would rather see the likes of um, well, Kamar Wilcox is hurt. I'm going to try to think of more safeties we can put back there. Trey Dean, obviously. Elijah Blades had a huge hit in the little time he saw against Tennessee. I think it was his first significant yeah, uh, PT it was, of the year. It was, it was, and Elijah Blades might be the most talented cornerback on the team besides Kyir Elam, and I've heard great things about the way he's looking in camp, although right now it's just a grasp of the playbook thing because, Kyrie, I mean, Blades didn't get on campus till August, late right. August, so he's not ready to play at, for a full role at that cornerback spot because there's so many different signals that mm-hmm. you have to learn in this Grantham defense sure. from the cornerback spot. I mean, that's one of the biggest knocks job. on Grantham is Exa- that it's so, it takes it, it, years exactly. to get yeah, the best players on the field. Grantham's because because in particular, mm-hmm. we're, and if we're talking about more playing time for Jadarius Perkins, no one involves heavy defensive back blitzes more than Todd Grantham. So why wouldn't you right. want someone who's a crisp tackler, who plays well in the run game, as a presence in the backfield, as a corner to start, why wouldn't you want that? Especially when he's the more experienced yeah. player. And when you've seen the guys like Mordecai McDaniel, guys like Avery Helm have been a liability this season. They absolutely have. it. You can't argue that. And since Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who's now one of the absolute best nickel corners in the NFL, was here, that star position has been a problem. So I, th- I, mean, I think Trevez... Johnson, as he continues to progress, has the best. He's got the, the potential. I think I he could have a Chauncey like year next year. Clearly, he's not there yet. Against Alabama, 
I believe was actually one of the better performances I've seen from a star at UF since Chauncey left. He really kind of locked down Slay Bolden in that slot. In the second that half. one touchdown for he sure. dropped in the yeah. second half. But you, we all remember that big hit. I believe it was at the end of the third quarter. On the screen, right? Yeah, when on he the came screen. Up. Yeah, that yards, was it. A quick <laughs> that play screen. popped for Bolden sure. went to the outside and Trevez Johnson, boom, lit him up. Trevez Johnson is a guy that they've spoken very highly about for years now. And star is a position that also favors Todd Grantham's defense. So that's a guy that I'd be looking out for this week against Kentucky. Today. Absolutely. And just back to the secondary, one more point I want to make. Um, you know, if we're talking Tennessee takeaways, was that, man, we're lucky that Hendon Hooker's not a more accurate passer because upon rewatch, especially that game, there were many, many dudes wide open, especially Avery Helm, Jason Marshall covers, where Hooker just missed him. And against a better team, you know, better let alone Georgia, let alone JT Daniels, Max Johnson, even Will Levis, you know, probably makes those What's throws. What's that receiver's and, name? What's his number? Juan He's Dale number one. Robinson. I don't know. I'm kidding. I do know his name. Number one, Wandale Robinson. Uh, yeah, when, when you look at Kentucky, they are going to – and we'll, we'll get to our Kentucky preview a bit later, but we, we need Kyrie or someone. We need Grantham to scheme we'll, up. We'll, we'll talk about matchups, and that's – I think, I think might be the best – maybe the best player versus player matchup of the weekend, Wandale Robinson versus Kyrie. Yeah, when you look at Kentucky, like they – I haven't seen a team this year – Focus, you know, on one of their receivers as much as Kentucky does with with number one, Wondell. Uh, I think he has over 460 yards and three touchdowns. He's got so much of their target Not to share. Get into exactly. the Kentucky preview, but can we just stop for a second and talk about how ridiculous that quote was from Mullen? that he didn't know who Wandale Robinson was. He didn't know who his number was. No, Wandale no, no. Robinson is from the state of Florida. He was still in the recruiting cycle when you got the Florida. I think he's he not. was actually committed to Florida State. He said the, the number. He said he said he, he said It's coach speak. No, he Coaches said, watch he said, film and they know the numbers. He knows, he knows he's he number said one. He knew he's number one. He He'll knows find out on Saturday. Dan <laughs> Mullen is very aware that number one is the player to stop and to watch. I, I don't maybe Dan Mullen doesn't know it, but I know that Todd Grantham knows it or at least must know it because he's the one that's calling the defensive plays. And I'm sure Dan Mullen knows Oh, I'm not saying that Mullen won't be prepared for it. I'm just saying if you want to talk about funny quotes from a press conference, I mean this is just Well, one he's word. the king of it, is he not? <laughs> Precisely. Good thing he wasn't wearing his Batman costume while he was or Darth Vader costume while he was doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would have been like dun 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 dun. Yeah. So, you know, for you guys, you know, going back to Tennessee and even Alabama, is there one or two players who surprised you with, with how well they played and, and need them to again this week against Kentucky? I feel like this one goes without saying, Emory Jones. I mean yeah. the first two games of the season, Emory Jones had already thrown four interceptions. You go to the Alabama game, he had a really bad first quarter, threw an interception, made a misread, but as Mullen said in the press conference, he liked what he was trying to do. He just overthrew the ball a little much. But from the second half on until now, Emory Jones has been a completely different player. Let's talk about this Tennessee game in particular. He went 21 of 27 for 209 yards and two touchdowns with a QBR of 86.4. And he led the team with 15 carries for 144 yards. He is the first player to have 200 yards passing and 100 yards rushing since Tim Tebow in 2009. Emory Jones, this was a guy that pretty much the entire fan base wrote off after the legend that is Anthony Richardson the first two weeks of the season. But you gotta give it to the kid. He doesn't give up and when he's proven the fan base wrong he's not going to pull a felipe no. and shush the crowd <laughs> this kid is respectful he goes about his business and i'm telling you he's looking better each and every week man he does what mullen puts him in position to do and that's why mullen is the quarterback whisperer um i like emory look i like emory clearly he's poised clearly you know the booze by the way an aside don't boo emory don't do the ar chance 
it's not necessary. Yeah, like, student not section. We don't okay, do yeah, like pull your jorts up to your crotch. Stop booing Emory Jones. No, that needed to be said. I had to you, shut up a lot of people in the student section against Alabama. I won't stand it. Very well, that Emory Jones is going to be the starter. Exactly. And you then, know Emory Jones is going to be the starter. When has Dan Mullen ever indicated that Anthony Richardson is going to be the starter? Do I agree with it? Maybe not. We'll probably get into that at some point. But Right, but if Anthony Richardson you know pops Emory a hamstring and is out for six weeks, then you know we're in deep, deep trouble. I th- Mullen clearly is confident with some of his quotes that we have as good of a shot as anyone to beat Georgia, and for that to happen, we need Anthony Richardson fully healthy. So would he have maybe made the difference against Bama? Yeah. Am I... At the end of the day, glad we played it safe and held him out. Yes, I agree. I agree entirely. I think I I had a lot of questions about Dan Mullen coming into the season. I had a lot of questions about Dan Mullen after the season last year, and I had a ton of questions about Dan Mullen after he made the decision to hold out Anthony Richardson during that first quarter. But the way that Emory Jones played from that first quarter against Bama on has proved me wrong. The way that Dan Mullen has called plays for Emory Jones in this offense from that first quarter on has proved me wrong. Dan Mullen has earned back my trust in just seven quarters. Absolutely. That's how good it's been. That's how impressive it's been. That's how good this offense has run. It's It, looked, it, has, it looks like a well-oiled machine. It looks like the first couple of games, there was kind of a, there was, it felt like something was missing with Emory in the game. Anthony came in, boom, big play. Anthony is incredible. But the offense is at its expansion it's at its, it's at its highest level when Emory's in the game because the playbook is at its most expanded level the, the playbook is wide open when Emory Jones in the game you have all of the plays in this playbook at your fingertips because Emory Jones has the highest mastery of it mm-hmm. so the offense what it's supposed to look like at its highest form is supposed to be when Emory Jones is in the football game and in the first two games it was sluggish. It didn't. There was a, a disconnect between receivers, between running backs, between Emory. He didn't look like he had full control over the over the game, over the offense, and it led to turnovers. Then it just seemed like something switched after we went down twenty-one to three in that first quarter. What Emory Jones? If the offense again, it just turned a corner. It seemed like they figured it out in that second half. The rushing offense finally started to impose as well. Finally became what we know it can be and what we knew it could be, Dan Mullen has the way that he has transformed this offense to be the best passing offense last year to the best rushing offense this year is nothing short of spectacular. It is the number one rushing offense outside of the service academies who should not count for that statistic. They've never heard of the forward pass. Yeah, and they're still running the triple option in the 21st century. I've never even... (laughs) <laughs> like, exactly. Well, no, they, they, yeah. they, to me, are they're, they're an exception. You don't count right. them. They, they should not count for that rushing because offense. We stat. Throw, because the Florida Gators do throw the football. Of all of the teams in, the, in college football that actually do throw the football, which the Gators are one of them because Emory threw for, for over 200 yards this he week did. on 29 attempts, Florida still manages to lead the, lead the rest of college football in rushing yards. And it's just a testament to Dan Mullen's ability to – Trans to run his offense towards his players. Last year, it was all about matchups. It was a it was a mismatch game. Get your your special talent outside with Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, Trayvon Grimes on the outside, and get that forward spread deep threat offense moving down the field with big plays. This year, it's very methodical. It's very scheme based. It's all about. It's all about matchup. Not not as much about matchup. It's more about 
out scheming the other team with formations, with motions, and with just pure hard run, running up the middle with the, with this great offensive line. Yeah, and Mullen has always been a coach that kind of caters towards his players, but I'm having a little bit of deja vu for what we're experiencing with Gators football right now. I kind of liken this to the 2018 season, and obviously a little later in the season, but think about that Missouri game when we just got absolutely embarrassed on our home field by Drew Locke in Missouri. And then they come out the next week and they go down what? 21 I think it was 14 zip or something. 14 zip to, we South, down Carolina. to South Carolina. Yeah. From that second quarter on, you saw a different Felipe Franks. You saw a different Florida. They started getting the backs involved more. They started using the kind of HB draw to LaMichael P. Ryan. They started too. using the outside kick out to Jordan Scarlett. And you saw the adjustments that Mullen was willing to make back then, and you're seeing them resurface now. Dan Mullen is so versatile with his play calling that he can skew an offense to fit any player. And the offense they're running right now, Mullen keeps saying it, this is the offense that they wrote about back at Bowling Green. When him and Urban Meyer were at Bowling Green, that's when this offense was first brought about, and it's the number two rushing offense, really the number one rushing Number one. Exactly. I want, I want <laughs> For to, our I want, purposes. I want to bring up this tweet from Dan Orlovsky, who will be on the call, the color commentary call this weekend as Florida travels to Lexington to take on Kentucky. Dan Orlovsky, he says that Dan Mullen is one of his favorite offensive minds, which I entirely agree with. Orlovsky says Emory Jones starts the season and is struggling, so what does Mullen do? He moves him a ton outside the pocket, smartly and then the next few weeks emory jones's play gets much better and it's a good point from orlovsky that's yeah. what one of the things that Mullen has done he's made emory more comfor- comfortable by giving him rhythm throws outside the pocket the bootlegs again last week we saw it on several occasions but specifically on that rick wells touchdown just making it easy for you don't because there was the emory rick wells jones, touchdown there were yeah exactly but emory jones is not anywhere near what Kyle Trask is. They're completely different players. And a lot of the times we saw in the first two games, Emery was sitting back there, seven-step drops, looking for open receivers, trying mm-hmm. to get to his third and fourth reads. That's not the kind of quarterback he is. He's a one- and two-read guy that likes to be in ro- rhythm, in motion. When things break down, he's not always as good as you'll see with Kyle Trask mm-hmm. and with, with other great quarterbacks like that. But that's what Dan Mullen – Surprised he didn't realize that earlier necessarily, but he at least made the adjustment, and it's made such a huge difference in this offense. Yeah. One thing I noticed big time in the Tennessee game was we had a ton of third and mediums, and we absolutely crushed it on those plays, a lot of which were, like you said, when Mullen would roll Emery out, make it easier for him, because clearly he's a dude who the game slows down for him when he's on the run outside the pocket, gives the defense the threat that he may run, and... There were a couple plays that stood out. One was when he was rolling right and then found Copeland on like a 10-yard slant. Um, there was the one pretty big throw he had uh, toward the end of the second quarter where he, he found Copeland and Copeland fumbled. We could have gone up 24 to 14, but like you said, you know, Mullen realizing what exactly he needs to do with Emery has been a big-time help because as much as I love Emery, I don't think he's a special quarterback, and so I think – it's a testament to you know Mullen just really putting him in putting him in the best possible situations. Yeah, and we've talked about Emory Jones being someone who's surprised over these last two game stretch we've had as we start our SEC schedule. But let's kind of go to the other end of the spectrum here. Who has disappointed you as we've entered this stretch of the SEC schedule? In terms of our team, I think well, Ventrell Miller being out was a huge hit to our linebacker core. But you know when you rewatch. 
some film from Bam on Tennessee. The secondary has been great, but the linebacker play has not been perfect, especially in the run game. Sideline to sideline stuff killed us in the first quarter against Alabama. Like, you know, they would spread us out. Tennessee found some success doing similar things. And so I think Mahmoud Diabate is a great athlete. He is a good linebacker, but he looks a little bit lost in the run game at times. So, so, does, so does Amari Bernie. So I would like to see more of Tyrone Hopper. He's not always in the best position, but he absolutely pops, you know, against he, oh, the run game. He plays game. like his head is on fire. Absolutely. And, and he, so it, it comes back to bite him sometimes, but uh, exactly. Against Kentucky, I think he is one kid who's going to have to have a huge game. I agree, but I'm going to go on the offense side of the ball for my disappointment, and that's been Justin Shorter. Mm-hmm. My expectations for Justin Shorter were very high. I think that he is a supreme athlete. I think that he might be the most talented football player on this team. I mean, you look at his size, look at his dimensions, his speed, his, his ability to go up and get the football. I know this isn't a similar offense to what we saw with Kyle Trask last year, but he couldn't even we, – we didn't even see it a whole lot last year with Kyle Trask, and I understand that he was kind of behind Trayvon and Kadarius and Kyle Pitts and the, the top receivers that we had, but he's still talented enough to be able to be a number one guy, which is what everyone thought he was going to be coming out of high school when he was ranked number one in the country, number nine mm-hmm. overall. I I really – look, I wrote a feature story, story on him before the season. I remember that one, yeah. Com. I'm a huge Justin Shorter fan as a player and as a person. It just, I, I don't, he just hasn't really put it together thus far this year. I think it's maybe he's not just getting open. I mean, he the, he doesn't create separation like you would want to see from a guy with his his athletic ability. When the ball is there, he is he has good ball skills in the sense that he gets into the right position to get the football. But a lot of times he struggled with drops. Yeah, and we saw that against USF had a big drop. Had a drop last week where the ball was kind of there, and it, against, I think it was poked uh, out in the last second, but it still was a very catchable ball against short, Against Oklahoma, I was going to say. Even, Emory, oh, hey, Emory threw yeah, some dimes year. Even to go him. back to last year, go to the right, Arkansas. Exactly. Right. I mean, take away that beautiful catch he had down the seam where he lost like three defenders marked. So I believe it might have even been Jalen Catalan, which is funny enough. But the, this guy has always had an inherent problem for dropping the ball. It happened to Happy Valley, and it's happening again in Gainesville. But the good thing is about our receiving cores that we don't need to rely on him. It's been disappointing. It would be nice to have him in the kind of in the fold, have another elite guy like that. But I'm telling you, Xavier Henderson is playing really well this year. Yeah, uh, Xavier, I, look, he's a young player. We know the talent that he has in his lineage and his family with CJ. And hopefully CJ's okay now go, moving over to Carolina. But Xavier, he, again, he finds – what he's really good at is finding is getting open inside the the zone of the defense. He's not as great against man. He can't necessarily beat a really good cover corner on the outside, but he's able to find the zones, find the holes, and he become he's become a safety valve for Emory Jones. Absolutely, we saw that a lot last week. He was a big factor on some third downs. He's become a big player. I thought it was going to be Trent Whitmore who was going to serve this role as the the go to open and zone third down player and he's been somewhat that but to me it's been Xavier Henderson as you mentioned who's really taken on that role yeah this season there was I one agree. play in the second quarter against Tennessee that stood out to me about a 25 yard seam yes. he's just so down he's the so soft spot in the zone the line. so when those low coverage zone schemes come onto the field he's so good at getting open in the middle of the field because he's so mm-hmm. quick off the line that the defender won't be able to keep up with him and that's Xavier Henderson but look we're definitely disappointed with kind of how Justin Shorter has proceeded this year, but we won't be disappointed this weekend. It is a loaded slate of college football. Of course, the Florida yeah. Gators play the Kentucky awesome. Wildcats. We'll get to that later, but I want to talk about some of the other big games. Potentially, in my opinion, we were talking about this right before we started recording, 
the biggest group of five game of all time. Undefeated Notre Dame hosts undefeated Cincinnati, a top 10 matchup. We keep saying how this might be like the 07 season. This might be the exact <laughs> win Cincinnati needs to make that happen. What a time to be alive. And, you know, you made the point of it being the biggest group of five game of all time. And before you turn us off and call us sunshine pumpers or for exaggerating whatnot, this this 2021 Cincinnati team is, I would argue, the only group of five team who has ever had a chance to make the playoff. All those other teams, the 2017-2018 UCF team, last year's Cincinnati team, they didn't have a shot from the start. But because Cincinnati went undefeated and then lost to Georgia by two last year, because they have a win against Indiana, and because the schedule gods, who probably scheduled this Notre Dame game back in, like, you know, when we were 12 or whatever, but because they, you know, are going on the road to play a top 10 Notre Dame team, along with all the other chaos going on, we'll get to it, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma not looking good, an undefeated Cincinnati would have an absolute fighter's chance at getting in that Final Four, I think. Or at least you hope they would. They would. I mean, look, they have a road win at Indiana. They win this weekend. They got a road win at South Right. Bay. Not many people could say they could do that. The ACC is not getting a team in. Yeah, no, an undefeated Cincinnati would absolutely. The ACC is not getting a team in. The ACC is not The Big 12, I don't think will get a team in. The ACC, maybe unless Wake Forest manages to win. Oh, and I would love that. Unless Wake Forest wins out, they're basically eliminated. And even if Wake Forest wins out, I think a Cincinnati. Undefeated Cincinnati would get the not over and undefeated Wake Forest with a win over. Yeah, because voters will absolutely take into account what they did last year too. They almost beat Georgia in that bowl game, and you know unless they beat Notre Dame and then Notre Dame goes on to finish seven and five, which I don't think they will. They're going to have a quality win, assuming that they can get it done. Um, So yeah, not an exaggeration to call this the biggest Group of Five game in the playoff era, if not even before then. So for Notre Dame now, they've just they've been hanging on the edge. They've been they've almost hit. They've almost hit the point of defeat. They got so close it was, against it was Toledo too. They had so close yeah. against Toledo. Now they've got a really really good, a really really well coached Cincinnati team coming into South Bend. When's the breaking point for Notre Dame? When does it? When does it all come down? Can they continue to escape now against their most formidable opponent this time at home? I think the time is this weekend. I think Cincinnati is their a favorite. Very Cincinnati is the good favorite. They're favorite for a reason. Desmond Correct. Ritter is a very good quarterback. He has been playing the starter position for them for the past three seasons. This is a very experienced guy. Has a rocket of an arm. He's an inherent athlete, so he's great at scrambling around the pocket. And they got a great one-two punch with Jerome Ford as well, the Oklahoma transfer. Anytime that Ritter goes for an RPO, you have to respect him on the line of scrimmage because what he can do with his feet and what Jerome Ford can do, I think that's going to present a huge problem for. Notre Dame's defense, who's going to have to bring Kyle Hamilton and stack the box pretty much every play because of that Cincinnati rushing attack. So I think that's going to create a lot of lanes for Desmond Ritter. And I really think Cincinnati might get it done this weekend. Yeah, and, you know, if you're a box score person, you saw, you know, Notre Dame beat Wisconsin 41-13 to last week. Why are they all of a sudden an underdog against Cincinnati? Notre Dame was down 13-10 to at the beginning of the fourth quarter in that game. They caught lightning in a bottle. They had a couple... Graham Mertz turnovers, you know, which are which is I, I, Graham Mertz. I, they should. Oh my! Oh my goodness! We don't so need to get my, into it. One of my best. They're favored against Michigan, by the way. I don't exactly know. One how of my that best friends happens. goes to the Bizarre. University of Wisconsin, and I remember because before I went to college, that was a year Graham Mertz was getting recruited, and I remember watching the All American game where he threw four touchdowns, broke the record. And I was like, 
Oh, here we go again. And this is one of those friends who will never let you hear the end of it if his team's better than yours. Aggressively hates the University of Florida because everyone does if you don't go here, which is your loss. But and then did to he see get in? Graham Mertz come out and throw <laughs> this many interceptions, this it's many bad. turnovers, and also the aura that this guy was coming in with, you know, the way he was posting on Instagram. This guy thought he was Baker Mayfield before he even got this campus. He made a logo. They got rid of Jack Cohen for this kid. They got rid of Jack Cohen. And Graham Mertz and Graham Cohen. Mertz are Cohen. Cohen. Jack Cohen. Not Cohen, Cohen like Zach Cohen. I honestly yeah. think, Jack Cohen. and I didn't think this was possible, I think Graham Mertz is worse than Alex Hornibrook. And I didn't think that was possible. Alex Hornibrook, he's, the he, one no, time no, I got to watch no, no, Hornibrook Gra- in person. Well, they're different because Graham Merckx has a lot more potential and he's a lot yeah. more talented. And he, so but it's when just... He throws, he's flat-footed. But it's, but it's, it's mechanics and it's decision-making that consist... It's amazing how consistently his decision-making haunts him. He's so talented. He has the arm talent to be a good quarterback. He has the playmaking ability to be a good quarterback. But he can't put it together, and then it's always the turnovers in the end that end up haunting him. Mm-hmm. And th- that okay. So let's let's. I want to get into Vegas a little bit here and, and some and some lines because you mentioned that Wisconsin. There are some absolutely intriguing ones. Yeah, because, Michigan. And you mentioned that Wisconsin is is a favorite. They're a one and a half or two point, point favorite against. There are they even ranked? I don't even think they're ranked. No, they're not ranked anymore. So they're unranked. Michigan's playing, unbeaten playing number fourteen. Unbeaten number fourteen. Michigan. They Granted, play. it is in Camp Randall. Right. Which it's a home is, game for Wisconsin, which adds the crowd and that plays into it. But what does that tell you about Vegas? It tells you that turnovers don't matter. It tells you that they look because, at because, exactly because because in reality, Wisconsin outplayed Notre Dame for three and a half quarters. They were up in that game 13-10. and then what happened? Obviously, everything fell apart when the, once the turnovers started. They don't think turnovers are consistent, so they're telling you, okay, at some point regression to the mean. At some point, Wisconsin's going to stop turning the ball over at this extreme level they are right now because it cost them against Penn State and it cost them once again in that fourth quarter against Notre Dame. At some point. When they play one of these good teams, they're going to play the way they play football, which is good defense, run the football, short throws, grind out a game, and then the turnovers just won't come because maybe Graham Mertz won't, or he'll get lucky and he'll throw a bad pass that won't get picked off, and that can change the game. And that's obviously why I think Wisconsin, despite being not as probably the worst team than Michigan, they have the ability to A, keep it close, and B, if they can – hold on to the most important thing in the sport, the football, they can definitely beat the Wolverines on their home turf. Absolutely. They play similar ball. And Michigan, coming into last week's game against Rutgers, was right up there with Florida in the uh, you know total rushing statistics. Against Rutgers, they came in a three-touchdown favorite. They didn't impress at all. They only put up about a buck fifty on the ground. They escaped that Rutgers game against um, the Shiano man with only a, a seven-point victory, 20-13. to 13. Um, yeah, and so that's absolutely one to look out for. I would look ahead and say that something to look out for in that Michigan game, Michigan fans, if you go on their 24-7 uh, message board, all the fans are clamoring for a quarterback change. And, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of the Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy McNamara. situation, but they've got a kid in Cade McNamara who clearly is not such a downfield passing threat. They've gotten to 4-0. Because grounding and pounding, but game. they've got a true freshman who is a five-star talent, and so I wouldn't be surprised if Jim Harbaugh, you know, flips the switch, puts McCarthy in, and they are a team who catches lightning in a bottle. What's going to be down already, like sixty to nothing to Ohio State for him to make that change? No, but but they've already found lightning in a bottle with Blake Corum in this running game. This this running offense is. Again, right, but clearly there's going to be a game where they have to get no, push I, the no, ball downfield. I agree. Down field I, agree I agree. That no, they're, they're going to have. I think at some point 
McNamara will get benched. I don't think this is the week. I don't think next week is the week. I think it's going to be some time. Maybe it is against Ohio State when they're down by 20 points Maybe Penn half. State. Maybe Penn State yeah. when they're down by the 20 points and a half. They don't play but Penn State or Ohio State until the last two weeks of the season. Two or three weeks of the season. And right. it could it's be it's actually way. insane. They could be undefeated. Until that time, like we all remember, it's crazy. A years ago, I we mean, were Michigan State, team in the country, yeah, and then yeah. Iowa field goals, time expires, lose to Ohio State, boom, out of the playoff picture, get killed by Florida in the. Peach but Bowl. yeah, I mean, McCarthy has seen limited time in the in the end of their game against Western Michigan. Made a Sports Center throw, I mean, across his body, fifty yards down the field, and so I wouldn't hesitate to say that he's the most talented quarterback that Harbaugh's got his hands on at Michigan, and. So we'll see if at some point that happens. But that game's at noon, Michigan-Wisconsin. The biggest game, at least in terms of the rankings, is Arkansas-Georgia, number eight versus number two. At noon, college game day in town. That's, that's the one to watch out for, and it's at noon. Yeah, it's weird having another noon game for college game day. I've never been a fan of that, but what are you going to say, Alice, but woo pig? I mean, he's, I mean Chad Morris is the best coach in college football right now. The What he has done to turn around this program... Chad Morris. Chad oh. Morris is Chad. collecting unemployment checks from yeah, the yeah, University yeah. of Arkansas right now. Sam oh, Pittman. Sam I, Pittman. I don't know why I said yes, Chad Yes, sir. Morris. I don't Sam know why Pittman. I said Chad Morris. Sam they, 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 Absolute they, opposite ends of the spectrum. The, the, the names, they, they're very similar names. Yeah. And I just... They, they stick it... We Sam, forgive you. Sam Pittman is the best coach in college football right now. What he's done to turn around that program is nothing short of spectacular. Arkansas is... They're just a well-coached, well-run, difficult team mm-hmm. to beat. They're just so. They're just so. They play so well, and they play so hard, and they're playing for Sam Pittman. And you can see the culture change created in Arkansas, and it's a big line, eighteen and a half. Georgia's big favorite against Arkansas at home. Does Arkansas cover that spread? I, I think they definitely can. I said this last year when it happened, and I stand by it. I think Sam Pittman was undoubtedly the best hire from last year's coaching cycle when you are a middle of the pack sec school if you are hiring a coach like brian harrison or chad morris or someone like jim the shark humper McElwain, from outside the southeastern conference who has no tutelage recruiting in the southeastern conference who has no connections in the southeastern conference they're going to flop nine times out of ten sec football is its own breed SEC football is a different way of playing, it is a different way of recruiting, and it has been that way for almost a century at this point, because the Southeastern Conference has been around for a very long time. So I think Mm -hmm. hiring Sam Pittman was absolutely the right move for Arkansas after the disaster that was Chad Morris. This is a guy who has been an SEC coach for years. He was the offensive line coach at Georgia. He is arguably the best recruiter in the country, which is already paying dividends with guys like K.J. Jefferson, but... I'm telling you, this guy is a great coach. It was a great hire. I don't know if he'll ever get past the Alabamas of the world. Even we'll see this weekend, maybe the Georgias of the world. But that was definitely the right hire for Arkansas to keep mm-hmm. him competitive right. in the SEC. Yeah. Also, a, Ch- a Chad Morris. I just—he's the head coach at Allen High School, which is Allen, a bad game. Allen, Texas. They're yeah, the one yeah, they're, with the big they're, giant they're, stadium. They're, I mean, they're probably the best. Yeah, football. No, that's one a great that's a better good program than some good college programs. Yeah, yeah, so good for him. That's actually he's, in, he's doing well. Talk about well, landing he on your feet. Offensive coordinator at Auburn last year. He may have been. Bo Nix, having yes, fun, yes, having the time was. of his life. Bench for the LSU talk about game. mediocre quarterback play. Forget Grant Mertz. Let's talk about Bo Nix. Uh, not, not yet. <laughs> but, but yeah, you talk about Arkansas and you talk about Pittman being a great hire. What about Barry Odom? My goodness, I'd give my left pinky toe. Maybe both of my pinky toes. Maybe even all four of my pinkies. Fingers and toes. The ankle? 
to hire to, to somehow get Barry Odom coaching our defense because looking at what he does with the it's the crazy. caliber of athletes that Arkansas has, it's amazing. They play such just sound, sound football gap you know assignment. Simon sound yes, football. exactly. They're it always starts in the right with their spot. two leaders on the defense, Blake Morgan, the gifted line. Grant Morgan, right? Yeah. Grant Morgan, my apologies. It's okay. And Jalen Catalan. The corner, this right? This guy came out of nowhere. Yeah. And this guy's probably going to be a first-round pick. He's one of the best safeties in the country, rivaling Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, who mm-hmm. we just talked about short, shortly ago. But this guy is a stud. My matchup, I'm looking out for this game. In his first game back this season, Darnell Washington, the five-star tight end, is going to have probably the toughest matchup he's going to have all season. Going well, they've got their hands full because not only is Darnell Washington coming back, but the tight end who they've been playing so far at Georgia, what's Brock Bowers, has been really granted good. against not good competition, but he's looked I great. Really him up for my fantasy so I think we should just be happy that Eric Gilbert is not playing because oh. if we had to deal with all three of those guys, that, that uh, it is crazy be, that, how many it, it would be. He will never play a snap. Georgia. Quote me on that. Tweet me on that. Old takes expose me on that. Eric Gilbert will never play down football. Yeah, no, he, but the Georgia, they just have so many athletes. They're just so talented. But I want to go through this. Each of our locks of the week, there's a lot of interesting lines out there. I don't know if you've gone down to any, any one of them, but do you have any locks, uh, your lock of the week? For this I mean, week? you know, we're talking about Arkansas-Georgia. I don't know about a lock, but I think Arkansas has what it takes to cover against Georgia. I think they'll keep it pretty close because you look at what they did against A&M, and A&M's – not going to have nearly the season that Georgia will, mm-hmm. given that, you know, they don't have a quarterback who's, you know, anywhere close to JT Daniels. I mean, Calzada's struggling big time, but you look at the way they were able to run the ball against an A&M team loaded with, with first-round potential on defense. I think they'll be able to run the ball well enough to keep the game close. KJ Jefferson can hit deep shots, you know, um, on play action. They got Traylon Burks out wide, a potential first-round pick. He's really good. The game's at noon, too, so weird stuff can happen. And if you want to talk 07, if you remember the 2007, of you course. know, the curse of the number two, the number two team going down almost every week. This is a great week to start. Well, it's number two Georgia against number eight Arkansas. So I think that game will be interesting, and I think it'll tell us a lot, honestly, about our chances to beat Georgia, too, because Arkansas plays a similar style on offense that we do. Correct. Sing us a song, Seattle man. Rutgers is three and one, guys. Rutgers is three and, and they one. could have been four and zero. They were pretty close. And they're fifteen the point worst underdog. football program ever a few years ago. Ever. Them and, and Chad Morris, back, Arkansas. <laughs> they bring back Greg Schiano. They say to hell with all those allegations from the NFL. They're a 3-1 and one football team. They pushed Michigan, a top 15 team in the country, to the brink last week. I didn't get to watch the game because we were, of course, at the Swamp, the best place on earth, watching our Gators get the victory. But they they played Michigan really well. They're playing Ohio State this weekend. Ohio State looks like a mess, guys. 15-point underdogs. 15 are points is a lot of points nice. for a guy who coached in the NFL and found some success, in not in the NFL, but has found some success in the college football realm. I agree. I really like Rutgers plus 15. How can you not root for Rutgers? Points. I will be taking Rutgers plus 15 point in my weekly college football parlay, which I'll update you guys on throughout the season. Do you think they have the I ath- will never win. Yeah, you well, think they have the athletes are even close to keep up, though, with yes. Olave yes. and Wilson? I, I mean, we've seen, we've seen, we've seen him shut down a running game. Did but you think I, Tulsa had the athletes to keep up with them? Minnesota covered a 15 points. Zayden Collins isn't suiting up for Tulsa anytime soon. This they is true. definitely yeah. don't have the athletes. When are we going to see Quinn Ewers out there for Ohio State? Is what uh, I'm not, not this season. 
McCord. Uh, I would if I were Ryan Day. Uh, you you might as well, right? Yeah. Be a Kid's a millionaire. Something All right, so he, I, well, here's my lock of the week. Is that last week I had maybe the best week of my life in college football. I had, went 14 and four in my picks, and wow. I I took my lock of the week last week was Maryland minus 14 and a half hosting Kent State. They won by 21. This week, my lock of the week, it's a road dog. Plus four and a half gives me four and a half points. Syracuse at Florida State. I'm gonna mm. run him out of the building. I think if you if you if you just picked against Florida State against the spread probably, all twelve weeks, you probably would, would do pretty well. End the season pretty rich. Well, this yeah. is gonna come out weird, but Syracuse just upset Liberty. Liberty. That's not what you thought you'd be they saying. Were the that is a pretty. That's a, that's a real upset wins. though. Malik yeah. Willis is being talked about as the yeah. first quarterback to be taken in the 2021 NFL 2022 NFL draft. That's a pretty big win for Syracuse and Coach Dungy. Not Coach Dungy, Coach Babers. I mean, mm-hmm. you all remember what they did a few years ago with Andre Sisco, Eric Dungy. Of course, Eric they Dungy, right. He was, he was a tough kid at quarterback yeah, they're there. a well-coached team. And yeah. Florida State, guys, that's not a real football program right now. <laughs> oh, and, oh, and four. I don't want to waste the precious time we have on this podcast talking about that football team. They are so bad. So they are horrendous. So, so then let's talk. Let's talk Saturday, about maybe Florida Gators football. Florida Gators. Well, before we get there, I mean, the biggest game of the day, we have to touch it at least, Ole Miss-Alabama. Arkansas-Georgia, in terms of the rankings, may be the biggest, but I think if we, you want to talk entertainment value, that game's going to be nuts. I think Matt Corral is either going to throw a couple interceptions and they lose by a ton, or he ends the day like a, a, a top-five pick in, in, in draft circles. Well, I think he's going to... End the day a top five pick, and he's going to look really, really good. But yeah. Bama's is still going to win. I don't know about comp. I would say relatively comfortably, where it's it's not in doubt for the last five minutes at least. I think Ole Miss is going to hang around. They're going to continue to score touchdowns. It's going to be a lot of points, and I'm thinking like maybe like a 34-27 ish score to enter the fourth quarter, and then Bama just gets that last touchdown to pull away once again. Different type of game than what we saw here in the swamp. Bama came to play. Ole Miss—they've got a sneaky good defense. They're actually—they actually probably have a better defense than Bama does. They've been playing better this year, and not as talented, but they, as, right. they play better as you. And I think Nick Saban has been telling us throughout the season that this team is not as good as you think. He is worried about his team. There are holes on this team. This is not anywhere near the level of what we saw last year, and that's why Florida was able to get so close to a win. 14 and a half. That's what Ole Miss is getting at the moment. They opened mm-hmm. at 20. The line, the money's definitely been heavily. 20, yeah. Uh, that line's been heavily. Lucky you if you got that at 20, yeah, yeah, honestly. I don't know if anybody actually Everyone's did, <laughs> Everyone's talking about Corral, as they should. This guy's the Heisman favorite right now. Mm-hmm. But to me, an interesting foil is they lost pretty by a pretty slim margin last year, 15 points. And for that last year's Alabama team, 15 points, is that's nothing. Well, they didn't but, make one stop, but they but also the didn't get stopped. The thing I really want to look out for this weekend is – we gave Alabama a fit on the ground, and we kept it on the ground, specifically with those RPOs and outside runs designed for Emory Jones. A guy that we're all forgetting about is He's John trying. Reese Plumley. Maybe mm. Lane Kippen will be able to scheme something up for him, bring him in, and give Bama some trouble. I think Alabama will win this game. I think they're going to end up making a statement. But, yeah, I think Corral's probably the top quarterback for the NFL draft this year. Yeah, wouldn't be shocked, honestly, if they pull out the upset. Corral is exactly the type of guy who gives Nick Saban defense fits, always has. Um, they came close last year, and their defense was reminiscent of those land shark days against Louisville, who may not be the best football team, but certainly have a good offense. And they, they shut him down pretty well. Let's and, see if the land train can keep on moving. And I mentioned, you mentioned the running game. What about Jerry on Ely? He's been pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. He hasn't had the same 
we haven't seen. I don't know if he played the last couple of weeks, but he is still a very talented player that can exploit the weaknesses that are on in that linebacking core for Bama and in that secondary for Bama. That is definitely worrisome for Nick Saban. So we'll see how that plays a factor. Maybe this is a repeat of. 2015 when Ole Miss went to Bama with Chad Kelly. Swag Kelly. Swag mm-hmm. Kelly. And Corral's got, got swag, too. With, well, I don't remember the name of the receiver that the tip-up <sighs> catch. I know it wasn't DeMaurier Stringfellow because it was, it was um, his counterpart. So they, had, they had Treadwell. Was Adab- Adabijo or Adabijo, something like that? Cool. Yeah. Was it was Adabijo. The only was, reason I remember that name is that play, of course. Oh, man, that was a fun game. And that was so much fun. They came to the swamp a week later. That that was yeah, that, right because they came in ranked third. Quincy Adebayo wow. the one who caught that touchdown pass. Then Ole Miss the well, following week they come out of the swamp and get their asses handed. Their butts beat in. Well, yeah. Definitely Nick Saban is more worried than he's ever been about this number one Alabama team. But you know what else will make him worry? A chance of potentially seeing the Gators again in Atlanta. And if that were to happen, the Gators are going to have to beat Kentucky this Saturday. Yes. The point spread on of that course. game is eight yeah. points. It's opened up to even eight and a half, nine points. What do you guys want to see from the game? Well, before we get into that, I mean, I, I just got to stop for a second. Say, what a time to be alive. I mean, we touched so many games just now, and there's a couple ranked matchups we didn't even get to. Baylor-Oklahoma State, Auburn-LSU. Uh, you, you cannot fit all Iowa-Maryland. I mean, it, it is what, – what a time to be alive. Uh, it, this is What do we this, do to deserve this? We are going to have this from this Saturday to next Saturday, one of the best seven-day stretches of our lives in terms of as far as football is concerned. I don't doubt there's that. Just, yeah. There's so much great football on – all the time, and you just got to sit back, relax, and what enjoy the most beautiful be sport alive. on earth. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of relaxing for the Florida Gators because I'm a little bit worried about what's happened, what, what the predicament Florida might get themselves into this weekend in a very tough environment against a team that is going to pull out all the stops to beat them. This is Kentucky Super Bowl. Yes. Every single year. The other day, I was I actually produced for ESPN 98.1 FM, 8.50 AM, WRUF. I was producing Sports Team with Steve Russell, and he had a reporter from the Lexington Herald to talk about Kentucky, and he said the fans, the players, the coaches care about this game so much. Imagine losing 29 years in a row to the same team. That creates so much animosity and so much frustration, and they have had our number the past couple of years. Every game, Absolutely. except for last year where Kyle Pitts just said, hey, J.J. Weaver, don't even think about talking crap to me on Twitter. And poor kid again. ended up but tearing his ACL in that game. Go back to the year before that at Kroger Field. Felipe Franks goes down. We're down by what, 17 points? Kyle Trask comes in. The legend of Kyle Trask begins. It took a missed field goal by them for us to win that game, by the way. And then the year before that, we lost to Kentucky. For the first time in over 25 years, we lost to Kentucky. They have always created problems for us. I'm a little worried, guys. Are you? I'm not too worried. I'm a little worried. I, I think the only reason— I don't reason, think Mullen tends to take these games seriously sometimes. I, I, I don't quite agree. I think if you're going to be worried, it's more the intangible factor. The fact that this is their Super Bowl, which, I mean, Kentucky, pick any other game as your Super Bowl. Like, the odds are not in your favor, having been 36-1 and in the last 37 meetings against them. But— this team's I don't think anywhere near as good as the 2018 team. I mean, if you watch their last two weeks, they managed to put up 16 points against a not-so-good South Carolina team, gave up six yards a carry, and were trailing in the fourth quarter to Chattanooga. There are some bright spots on this team. They're good on the O-line, as they always are. Uh, Chris Rodriguez, good running back. They will, put up, they will put up numbers on the ground against us. I think the first quarter, maybe even first two quarters of... The game will be reminiscent of past years, but if you look at the difference between 
the 2021 Florida-Kentucky matchup and those 2018-2019 matchups is that in those games, they hung around and beat us because they were better up front. Defense, defensive lines and offensive lines, they were better than us. They whooped us in the trenches in those games. The difference this year, in my mind, is that I think we're better up front than them, and so as the game goes on, I think we end up wearing them down. Exactly. Now, that's the big difference between this Florida team and teams we've seen in past. In the past, it's not the speed, it's not the athleticism, it's not the matchups on the outside. It's the tough football in the trenches. It is Florida, for the first time in years, I've seen our team actually have a dominant offensive line. Mm-hmm. Winning in the trenches is everything in football, and Florida finally is a physical football team. This is a physical football team. You can't let teams like Kentucky that they have in the past out-physical you and beat you with the line of scrimmage, which is what we've seen the last few years. Mm-hmm. Because that, that, that because Florida then relies on their athletes and their players on the outside to win the game. To, on Saturday, it's gonna be they're going to rely on that offensive line, on the running game, and on the idea of, where, as you said, wearing down Kentucky. And I think that's what, in the end, will allow Florida to get the win and then pull away a little bit towards the end of that fourth quarter mm-hmm. because of the ability to wear them down. But I, I have to, I, I'll be honest, like I'm worried about Will Levis and his ability to make plays when things break down and then I, I, you got to be worried about the coverage busts. He is the type of quarterback that Todd Grantham has been proven to make look better than they are. So exactly. I do worry. He also... The, the kid clearly is not going to be easily rattled. He ate an entire banana, including the peel, posted it on TikTok, went viral. So he's not the quickest, but he's a tough kid. He, he, he puts his shoulder down the at the end of runs, certainly. He's a, he's a tough kid. Runner. Yeah. And, and another, another thing about this game is you got to worry about the environment. It's going to be a crazy environment, very loud. We've heard the, the practices at Florida, at Florida camp. They've been blaring the music, blaring the crowd noise throughout this week of practice to try to mock what it's going to be like. But this is the the type of team you want to take on the road. This is like the kind of team that you want to have against these crowds that can run the football because nothing takes life out of a crowd. Nothing takes that energy out of the crowd when you were just getting chunk yards, chunk yards, four, five, six, seven yards per play. That's how you just grind out a game and tear down and bring down that crowd, and if, if Florida yeah. does that, controls the clock, they should be in a good spot. Well, another way that you take a life out of the team is turnovers, and that's one thing, that's one staple of Todd Grantham defenses, right? You know, sacks and turnovers. This season, I think we only have one, and it was that crazy Kyrie Elam pick against Do we USF. Only have one? Is that correct? It's only one yeah. interception. I think yes. it only is one takeaway. Yes. They've the turned have been there. Zach the sacks have certainly been there, but Kentucky has turned the ball over three times in each of their last two games, so mm. six total. Um, you know they can't hang on to the football running. You know in in the Chattanooga game and and the South Carolina game that I watched a little bit of film on, they were fumbling like all over the place. Like they gave it to this kid, Josh Ali, number six wide receiver, two drives in a row, the same jet sweep. He fumbled both of them. Will Levis threw a couple of really really ugly interceptions uh, on deep balls, and so. If we can't get a takeaway this week, I don't know if we're ever going to do it. There's no question that Florida, I mean, you, you at some point, the, the takeaways do come and the, the moments do happen. I think if it's going to be in this game, it's going to be via 
the, the strip sack. I mean, Zach Carter has mm-hmm. been almost unblockable to start the year. We had so such high expectations for him, and he has more than lived up to him. Looks like a first-round pick. He does. Sack Carter, as they Zach say. Zach Carter. I'm I mean, going to buy a shirt. He has, Zach Carter. He, because we saw in, past he's more, in the past he's been more of an outside-edge rusher, but now he's bulked up, gotten bigger, put on some mm-hmm. mass, and we, he's moved, they moved him inside. Now he's playing more three-tech, four-tech, and five-tech, and that's really where he's been able to just out-muscle these guys and just watch – his power with his left hand push or his right hand push just can he can push it's back like an entire pound man throwing a cornerback. It's, it is yeah. inc- he's he such is massive. Such he's so big. The, the the power that Zach Carter has with his with his um his, with, with his jabs are uh-huh. just so impressive, and I think against a smaller offensive line with Kentucky, that's where he can take advantage. And I think that, he, that he's a key for this game. He has to make a play a two, play or two. He has to if it's not creating a turnover on his own creating a pressure which could then lead to an interception or a turnover via yeah. Will Levis making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's offensive line, not as dominant as in years past. They're pretty good run protection. A little iffy from what I've seen in past pro, but their tackles are pretty good, both of them, uh, Kinnard and Rosenthal. So NFL scouts are certainly going to be looking out for uh, Brenton Cox and Zach Carter going up against those, t- those two tackles. But, Sam, do you have a matchup that – you know, one matchup that scouts and fans should look out for in this game? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to go with Chris Rodriguez versus the Florida linebackers. Mm-hmm. The Florida linebackers, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, have really had an issue getting that pop in the run game this season. You said you want to see more Tyron Hopper. I'd like to see I Muhammad do. Diabate kind of prove his role in the linebacker. Use that speed. Get to Rodriguez as he tries to cut to the outside. Let's dominate this game, guys. Let's keep it on the ground. Let's wear him down. Yes. Kentucky has allowed eight sacks this year. I'm foreseeing a big day for sacks. Right. Carter. We ought to get yes. the crowd out of it early because when you get into trouble is when you know you make miscues. You're on the road playing a team who, again, it's their Super Bowl. And like like what we had going against Alabama, you get the crowd it's in an it. ESPN so ESPN game, six o'clock. It's gonna be you're gonna be there, Jake. I will. I will be wearing my blue Joakim Noah jersey as I always do in their white section. They're trying to do a blue white thing. Okay. So I'll be, so in, the be, white be section, in the white section, trying to screw it up with my blue jersey. And I love. I I'm a I'm a, a big fan of the orange white orange specifically in Lexington in the bluegrass state. A lot of people were telling me they said that. Oh, I, I don't like when we wear, when we wear orange, especially those orange pants. We gotta wear blue. Gotta stick to the blue. Co- Not when you're in the bluegrass state. When you go up to Kentucky, wear orange. You they wear orange. they they'll be they'll be wearing blue. We can wear our orange because they only have one color. We have two, orange and blue. So we wear the orange when we're up in the bluegrass state. So I look. I mean, I can't wait to see the. It's the first time we're seeing any colored pants this entire season. It's been all white pants. Is it for the first yeah. four games? I actually, wow. I actually love the orange pants and orange helmet because for whatever, I agree. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. that always reminds me of – do you guys remember that 2012 game against FSU? We were number four. Oh, oh wow. Ten. Matt Jones. Yeah, Mike Gillisley. I have the stats pulled up right What's now. Mike Gillisley had 140 yards, two touchdowns. That was, that was awesome the game where game. EJ Manuel got – Concussed as hell and somehow came back in the game. And if I remember three correctly, interceptions to show yeah. What, what, no, what Antonio Morrison gonna... killed him. Oh man, what, what, were the, was... what, were, what were the both teams' rankings? We were both we were pretty high. I think we, we were really four, high. And Florida State was ten. Yeah, that yeah. is when you win that type of game on the road. There's no there. There was I. There were few better feelings than I had that after that football game. Oh, that was, and, and we had an outside shot at the Natty after that, too. Oh, if Notre Dame had memories, gone down. Exactly. I mean, clearly we didn't belong there. We, we, well, we would have blown out by Louisville. We, <laughs> we would have made the playoff. In, in, in we would have probably made the playoff. Day. It would have been Florida, Georgia, Alabama all in the playoff. Well, yeah, not, I think it could happen this year. We'll not get to get into that too maybe next week. by that, we all love our Gators nostalgia. We could probably do a whole different 
podcast on Gators Nostalgia. Of course. But let's get some picks out for this game this weekend. Big Will, if you can, tell me a final score. Maybe tell me if you're taking the points or you're going against the points. Give me your general prediction for this I've game. Been, I've been back and forth with it, and I think the points are going to look great for three and a half quarters, and then Florida might get a late touchdown. So I'm going to go Florida 34, Kentucky 23. So it'll just, just barely cover. They're going to be there. It's going to be close in the end, but Florida gets that late late touchdown to pull away at the very end. But it, mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy. I want it to be easy. It should be easy on paper, matchups, all that kind of stuff. But it's, when you have to go and play in that, in that environment with that team and football, it's there's there's more than just the sport. It's, These are it's people. The, they're, not, exactly. they're not video game characters. Exactly. And, that, are, and that's what happens these in these beings. type of games in this, in this conference where it just means more. Tough game, but I think Florida does have enough to get a win and pull away a little bit at the end. Yeah, I don't think they're going to get as many stops as they'd like to. I think we match up pretty well. Um, you know, some of the other teams who played them picked them apart in the intermediate passing game. So I'm looking for Emory Jones to continue what he's been doing. Anthony Richardson in the hopefully 10 to 15 snaps, maybe more that he gets, making his presence known. Uh, I think the first half they will be able to get the run game going. They'll probably have a trick player to up their sleeve, of course, that will get us, but not a betting podcast. I I would be disappointed if we get the win, but don't cover. I think we absolutely should win this game by double digits. I'm going to go 35 to 24. All right. Almost so the I, same score as mine. Yeah. I guess the, we, 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 we are in agreement on how this game goes, for sure. I guess that leaves it to me. I always get worried before the Kentucky game. Yes. Uh, not when I was younger, not when they did, not when they were before. My bad. Before the Mark Stoops era, I wouldn't worry about this game. But Mark Stoops is a darn good football coach, guys. He's a really good football coach. Mm-hmm. He's had our number. I don't think they have enough to win this game. But man, Will Levis has played in bigger games than this in his career. Correct. Wondell Robinson is a stud. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Elam is not 100% healthy. He might give him some trouble, but I just think Kyrie Elam is just too good. I think the Gators will win this game. I don't think we're going to cover. I think the final score of this game will be 31-24. It'll be really probably tied going into halftime or we'll be down, but like we've been saying all show, we're going to wear them away. The offensive line is going to get an extra pull in the fourth quarter, and I think we'll break off a big run towards the end of the game. I love game. a little Ethan White pull right a there. A little oh. Ethan White pull. Oh. Malik Davis cut. No, you know what? Naquan Wright. Yes. Cuts Naquan to the Wright. right side, takes it 50 yards to the house. Love We're it. down 24 to 23. We go up. We go for two. We go up 31-24 and win the game. Yeah. Uh, See, I'm hoping for a 35-24 to 24 that's more like a – not as close as the score looks, like 35-17, to 17, and then they get a late one. I, I think the final five or so minutes, this game will not be it's in, be and it will not be it in doubt. should be a good college football game. Guys. should be a great game. Be Excited a to be game. there. And there's going to be great college football games all season long here while we're doing the Won't Back Down podcast. We have you covered for everything Florida Gators, everything SEC football, and everything college football as a whole. Look, we're just three guys who would be talking about this anyways without a microphone. We love college football. We love the SEC. And most importantly, we love the Florida Gators. We love you guys. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. For everyone here at the Won't Back Down podcast, Will Levinson, Jake Lehman, I'm Sam Potosa. Will and Jake, do you have any parting words? Uh, yeah, we should be up on Apple by the end of the day. And social media, of course, we are at Won't Back Down Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. So you can find us there as well. Yeah, hit us up with a follow and hit 
each other, eat, hit each of us on, as a follow as well. Our ads are in the bio of the Won't Back Down podcast. I'm at Big Will Levinson on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Lehman underscore on Twitter. And again, you can find all these ads in our main Twitter page. And I'm at Sam Potosa 5 And like I've said, you've been listening to the Won't Back Down podcast because I'll stand my ground, turn around, and that is it. Thank you for listening to the Won't Back Down podcast with Will Levinson, Sam Potosa, and Jake Lehman, a part of the Pigskin Podcast Network.